thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. This is episode 27, recorded live on October 8, 2011, Yom Kippur. I hope you have enjoyed these excerpts from our high holidays. If you would like to stay up to date on Kol Hadash, consider joining our Facebook group or following us on Twitter. Links can be found on our website, www.kolhadash.com. Rabbi Shalom concludes his series on truth with the exploration of honesty in our relation to others. From Ecclesiastes, perhaps the most humanistic, if not easiest, book in the Bible. What does man gain from all the work he sweats out under the sun? One generation goes and another generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hurries to its place where it rises. That which has been is that which shall be, and that which has been done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. I was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I said to myself, Behold, I have obtained for myself great wisdom above all who were before me in Jerusalem. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also was a chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Beware the truth. Absolute belief in absolute truth has led to totalitarian ideologies, crusades, the Soviet gulag, the Nazi death camp, witch hunts and suicide bombers and harem excommunication. The earliest rabbis were so convinced of the absolute perfection of the Torah that one said, turn it and turn it, for all is in it. We, on the other hand, might prefer the five scrolls later in the Hebrew Bible to the five books of the Torah. But those rabbis were convinced that the Torah was the highest divine truth. Beware the truth. The more you know, the worse you may feel. In much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I know that I am going to die. I know that you are going to die. Life is a terminal condition. That is the truth, but saying it does not help the reality. Beware the truth. Seek the truth. While we may not know everything, We can know many things and many important things. Life is better because of humanity's knowledge. We are happier, freer, healthier, older, and more just than our ancestors. The Greek philosopher Plato created a striking metaphor called the cave. In the cave, there are prisoners chained facing a wall. And all they have ever known, all they have ever seen, are shadows on the wall made by puppets and figures run by those behind them with the fire blazing behind them, but all they can see are the shadows on the wall, and that is what they think the world is. And then a select few manage to free themselves from their chains, and they turn and they see the fire, and immediately they are blinded by the light, but as their eyes adjust, they see that the reality is that those are puppets and figures being run by someone else, and that the shadows are merely a reflection of what truly is. And then those who are free manage to escape from the cave, and they go out into the light of day, and again they are blinded, they cannot see. All they can do is look down at the ground or into the water, 
And in the water, they see the reflection of the real, real world, not just a figure, not a puppet representing a tree or a person, but real things reflected in the water. And over time, as their eyes acclimate to the real sun, they can finally look up and experience true reality. Those freed philosophers who go back to the cave are not believed by their shackled brothers who still think shadows are reality. Do we not want to see the real light for ourselves, to leave behind illusions and reflections for reality? Now, there is a Jewish version of this story. It's called The Four Who Entered Pardes, a mystical garden of ultimate truth. One entered this garden and said, water, water, and died. One went crazy and lost his mind. One cut off his roots and became a heretic, and only one emerged sane. The crazy one, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who is credited by later generations with writing the Zohar, the most important book in Jewish mysticism. The sane, Rabbi Akiva, even though he later followed a false messiah to a terrible martyrdom and national catastrophe, but that was sane. The rootless heretic, our hero, Rabbi Elisha Benavuya, known in rabbinic literature as Acher, yet another he who must not be named. We want to say the name Elisha Benavuya. We are not afraid of finding the truth, of seeking the truth, of living the truth. We say, I want the truth. And some tell us, you can't handle the truth. Now in a phrase, I'm afraid you may hear 10,000 times more before next Yom Kippur, when someone says to you, you can't handle the truth, your response is, Yes, we can. It sounds easy to know the truth. We want to know that the book of Ecclesiastes was not written by King Solomon, as it claims, but rather centuries later, because it sounds so much like Hellenistic philosophy, like Plato. Who wants to live in fantasy land? Who would accept an illusion knowing that it is an illusion? Well, the honest truth is that it is not easy to know. Here is a simple test. How many people here like the sound of their voice on voicemail or an answering machine? That is how we really sound to everyone else. It may not be how we hear ourselves, but it is the real reality of how we communicate with the world. It's hard to really see yourself in the mirror. We're always surprised at our birthdays, or especially other people's birthdays. How can my younger sister be 45 years old when I'm still 20? <laughs> the truth is the truth, whether we like it or not. Ecclesiastes reminds us, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all, for man also doesn't know his time. There are no guarantees in life. We'd love to think that talent and effort are always fairly rewarded, but it ain't necessarily so. Random chance can catch up to us all. But who wants to think about life like that? For all of its wisdom and its courage to face the truth, Ecclesiastes can be very depressing. When the Torah describes Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonements, it says you must afflict your souls. 
Why look miserable on a day of judgment? It's a kind of pre-punishment, proclaiming your own guilt as you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Leviticus says, afflict your souls, and early rabbis interpreted that to mean no food, no water, no bathing, no sex, and definitely no free time. Spend all day confessing your sins, praying for forgiveness, literally lying down on the ground and begging for life. We were told that all this effort would not go unnoticed. We would be written in the book of life for another year, and the wicked would receive their punishment. It's very tempting to believe that we receive our just desserts in this world. And certainly, believing that your jerk neighbor will get what's coming to him is really tempting. But some Jews, even centuries ago, knew that this belief was not the truth. Again, Ecclesiastes. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good, to the clean, to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who doesn't sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one event to all. Amazing that this is in the Bible, the same Bible that promises divine justice. Because of the real-world truth Ecclesiastes describes, early rabbis added a belief in the world to come, in eternal life, in a way a second chance for divine justice to come true, if not here, maybe there. Again, Ecclesiastes has a rebuttal. For to him who is joined with all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. Neither do they have any more a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy has perished long ago. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Again, amazing that rabbis commanded this book be read on Sukkot. On Rosh Hashanah, we saw the power of rabbinic interpretation to save the Song of Songs. Here the same process, and an unconvincing, pious conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes, the interpretation and the conclusion saved the book for rabbinic Judaism. But we connect with the unvarnished original much more. If this life is the only life we know, there is nothing to fear from death. It is simply the end. In the words of the Greek philosopher Epicurus, probably a contemporary of the real Ecclesiastes, Death is nothing to us, seeing that when we are, death is not come, and when death has come, we are not. Sometimes the truth can set you free. Knowing that this life is all that we have makes what we do with our limited time that much more important. As Ecclesiastes writes, Go your way, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for the gods have already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and don't let your head lack oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life of vanity, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life, and in your labor in which you labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the underworld where you are going. We might say, Amen. Of course, Ecclesiastes just cannot make it positive, can he? 
Enjoy this life while it lasts, because when it's over, that's it. It reminds me of the story of the famous atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was asked, well, if you don't believe in heaven, what happens after you die? And her answer was, you rot. <laughs> Perhaps there's a more positive take. In recent history, some secular Jews have combined Yom Kippur and Ecclesiastes' challenges to traditional faith in more chutzpahic ways. They used to hold Yom Kippur balls and banquets, just because. I like to think of our positive cultural Judaism as a next step, not simply the freedom of rebellion, but a mature evaluation of our inheritance. Yom Kippur is an important part of our New Year's celebration. It's always wonderful to see each other, but our Yom Kippur also needs a serious sign. It just doesn't feel right to sing Hava Nagila, even if the tone of our day is not necessarily a somber dirge. Our Yom Kippur is a time for truth, not a divine confessional or a routinized recitation of transgressions, rather in our own heart and to the people close to us. Seeking the truth, speaking and living and breathing the truth about ourselves is our model for how we explore the world. They say charity begins at home, and if you can't balance a checkbook, how can you balance the budget? Well, we need the truth everywhere, in the street and in our tent, daily and on holidays, as Jews and as human beings. How can we find the truth? We could trust tradition to tell us all that we need to know, to turn it and turn it again and again, believe what our ancestors told us to believe. But that method is just not reliable. They were wrong about enough that we know now that there has to be something better. We could look into our own heart, meditate, choose the answer that just sounds right to us. But that seems both unreliable and dangerous. We're too unobjective, and there's no ground for discussion or common advancement. What if I believe the world is round, and you believe the world is flat, and she believes the world is on the back of a turtle? And when you ask her, what is the turtle standing on? She replies, very clever, but it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> the best method humanity has yet found to learn and to know is very simple. Take a guess, check the evidence, see what you've proven or disproven, and go on from there. The technical term for this is science, but the practical word is experience. Hypothesis. Humanity is both good and evil. The evidence? Well, it fits the evidence of the human experience and of Jewish experience, the hatred and death of a Holocaust and the love and beauty of new life and families. It's confirmed by ancient and modern wisdom and by our own personal experience. When Ecclesiastes wrote, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to love and a time to hate, by the way, the original doesn't have turn, turn, turn after those words. <laughs> when he wrote those words, his point was that they are all part of the human heart, the good and the bad, the constructive and the destructive. So the conclusion, is humanity both good and evil? Yes, we are both good and evil. And that means we need to be both optimistic and careful. We don't blindly trust people assuming they are good, but we don't blindly suspect them, assuming they are evil. And this is why we need each other. No one is perfect, and no one can do it alone. 
as Ecclesiastes wrote, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and doesn't have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have warmth, but how can one keep warm alone? If a man prevails against one who is alone, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If we have each other, we work to ensure bread to the wise, favor to men of skill, the race to the swift, the battle to the strong. We make our desires reality. Hypothesis. Humanists are always rational. This hypothesis is stronger if you don't actually know any humanists. <laughs> we make the mistake of imagining that humanists are not also human. Rational, yes, but also emotional and instinctive and subconscious and always evolving, and within our own lifetime, too. We are motivated by emotions, by ego and ambition and shame and loyalty, like all human beings. Indeed, it would be very unhumanistic of us to deny those sides of ourselves that are just as human as our rationality, even if we admire them less. So the answer, are humanists always rational? Wrong. We are not. Hypothesis. Jews are smarter. Evidence? I've taught Sunday school and Hebrew school for 15 years. Some here in this room have taught for decades. We like to think of ourselves like Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. All the children are above average. Yes, some Jews are smart, and some are not as smart. And some are smart in one area, but not in another. Jewish life has historically prized verbal intelligence, words and language and interpretation. And the Jewish roster of Nobel Prize winners keeps growing. Some Jews are very smart, but to assert that all Jews are smart or that Jews as a people are smarter than other peoples begs the question, what does it mean to be smart? It's not just words and language. There are many kinds of intelligence. I can read very well, but don't ask me to arrange your furniture. It's wonderful that Jewish culture prizes learning and insight, as do the Chinese and the Scandinavians. So the answer is, you're both right. Some are and some aren't. Hypothesis. Knowing the truth is important to a good life. Evidence? What have we discovered these high holidays? True words, true actions, true relationships, finding and living the truth can improve our lives. The truth can connect us with our real past with honesty and dignity. The truth can exemplify our values to our children. The truth can leave a legacy to make one justifiably proud. Knowing the truth and living the truth can be challenging. It is very tempting to accept easy answers, self-satisfying traditions, the warm womb of traditional wisdom or popular sentiment. Ecclesiastes once more. I have also seen wisdom under the sun in this way, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city and few men within it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now a poor wise man was found in it, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered the same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet, 
are better than the cry of him who rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The tree of knowledge beckons, and like Eve, we know that knowledge is to be desired to make one wise. But wisdom, knowledge, the truth are not enough. They all need us to make them real by our courage and our efforts, by us rewarding them with our praise. Conclusion, is knowing the truth important to a good life? Knowing the truth is key to a good life, a real life, no shadows, no puppets, no tortured interpretations, no celestial judgments. The truth does not set us free. The truth reminds us that we are free and that we will be free if we have the courage to live truth. That was Rabbi Adam Shalom of Kol Hadash Humanistic Congregation. More information about Kol Hadash, Rabbi Shalom, and Humanistic Judaism can be found on our website, kolhadash.com, K-O-L-H-A-D-A-S-H.com. This podcast was recorded and produced by Ken Burke on behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Hadash in conjunction with Repatriation Studios. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.